Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine, here again with George Kaloudis for your Daily News Roundup. On today's show, we're talking Bitcoin, what comes next, top headlines, and more. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Bitcoin, Ether, and most other top-traded tokens are down, while traditional indexes are showing higher prices. But things didn't start off that way. Most digital assets were trading higher as the East Asia Trading Day began in the green, buoyed by positive official economic data from U.S. markets. Quote, there was a lot of U.S. economic data released today, and the key takeaway was that the economy is not breaking just yet. Edward Moya, Oanda senior market analyst, told Coindesk in a note, continuing, Bitcoin momentum remains intact as Fidelity joins the quest for the elusive Bitcoin ETF. Optimism is here that one of these financial giants will get one done before summer's end. End quote. During a recent appearance on Coindesk TV, Moya predicted that Bitcoin could reach $40,000 before the end of the year. Quote, Bitcoin trades above the $30,000 level. Investors are waiting to see if the rally can continue. Initial resistance comes from the $34,000 level. And if we do see a Bitcoin ETF approval, institutional momentum could take the rally as high as the 40 k level, he told Coindesk. Continuing, any major setbacks with a BlackRock ETF rejection and a grayscale defeat could temporarily kill the rally, but optimism will still remain that the ETF will eventually get done, end quote. Rwanda isn't the only positive perspective playing out this morning. Bullish Bitcoin investors are reportedly preparing for a seasonal surge as the world's largest cryptocurrency tends to rally during the month of July. That's according to crypto services provider Matrixport in a new report out this morning. According to the report, over the last decade, Bitcoin has gained by an average of more than 11% in the month of July, with 7 out of 10 months showing positive returns, the report said. The last three years have seen returns of 27%, 20%, and 24% respectively in July, the note added. Quote, while summer tends to be a period of consolidation for Bitcoin, a strong July tends to be followed by a mediocre August and a sell-off in September, wrote Marcus Thielen, head of research at the firm. Matrixport says it expects Bitcoin to rally towards $35,000 before selling off and retracing to 30 k It then predicts another move higher to the 40 k level. The year-end target for Bitcoin is $45,000, according to the company. Today's crypto coverage comes courtesy of Coindesk Markets Analysts Lila Ledesma and James Rubin. Bitcoin is currently trading at $30,083.50, while Ether is trading at $1,849 per ETH, according to the Coindesk Market Index. 
And speaking of the Coindesk Market Index, we're looking at an absolute reading this morning of 1,259. That compares against yesterday's reading of 1,284 and represents a just under 2% loss across top traded tokens on the day. Before we get to today's traditional markets coverage, a quick announcement and word from myself. I started Markets Daily back in the winter of 2019, after I joined Coindesk as the founding editor of their podcast department. Over the years, I've worked with co-hosts including Brad Count, now the managing director of Coindesk Markets, John Biggs, who was a favorite rare curmudgeonly mentor of mine, Lilla Ledesma, who started as an intern and who would become a top markets reporter, Adrian Blust, who talked his way into a job that didn't exist and helped me reinvent the show you hear today, and now George Kaloudis, who will continue on after I'm gone. A special note of recognition is also due, of course, to Joanne Poe, Coindesk's head of media and a good friend. It's truly been an honor to do this work. So with all of that said, Friday will be my last episode, and that's both bittersweet and awesome. It's bittersweet because the experience of doing this show, especially when I have time to really dig in, is special. The world is so full of garbage perspectives, trying to push you down one terrible path or the other, when really we just want to be told the truth. We want to live our lives in peace, and we want to understand the world as it is. In the modern era, that's a tough ask, and while I was never a perfect messenger for it, I have done my best. But that best has been tempered by the reality that, for about two years now, I've been less and less focused on cryptocurrency in the world of blockchains, and more and more focused on the next disruptive technology I'm passionate about, which is artificial intelligence, specifically creative AIs. In the spring of 2021, I recognized what today you probably are intimately familiar with. I started building a company that would be my vehicle to explore that world, and now I've merged that company with another to create something pretty special. Over the last few months, you may have noticed the show getting shorter and our coverage getting a bit more haphazard. And that's down to my simply having too much to do. And that reality, among other things, has led to my helping George Kaloudis and the team at Coindesk now get positioned to take over the Markets Daily Show and help turn it into the next generation of fearless monetary truth-telling in a world gone mad. To get the new version of this show, starting next week, you don't need to do anything. It'll be taking over this feed. But for those of you who would like to join me on my next adventure, you can visit adambelevine.substack.com, where you can sign up for free to receive notifications for when I'm ready to launch. The inaugural post on adambelevine.substack.com explains more of what's coming next, but in short, I'm incredibly excited to return to my roots. Before starting Markets Daily, I ran a show for a whopping nine years called Let's Talk Bitcoin, starting in 2013 along with Andreas Antonopoulos and others, which was a show about the ideas, people, and projects building what we then described as the future of money. It was a philosophical show, never about the money or speculation, always about the possibilities, philosophy, and implications. I'm pleased to share that my next podcast, starting soon, will be a weekly exploration of artificial intelligence through that same disruption-focused lens. And so, while we have a little more time together, I'd encourage you to head over to adambelevine.substack.com and subscribe for free, where you can share your thoughts about what you'd like to see next from this new show. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to Markets Daily. Shifting to traditional markets, in the U.S., indexes traded higher, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average up six-tenths of a point, the S&P 500 up about 1.2, and the Nasdaq Composite up 1.65%. In Europe, the trend was the same, but the range was much tighter. Each of the regional stock 600s, London's FTSE 100, and Germany's DAX were each up about 1%. In Asia, there were two distinct stories. Chinese indexes traded essentially flat, while Japan's Nikkei 225 rose by more than two points. 
In commodities markets, Brent crude, that's of course the international benchmark for oil, dropped 1.76%, trading hands at $72.56 per barrel. Gold, meanwhile, is down a bit more than a point, currently priced at $1,915 per troy ounce. And yet again, First Republic saw gains, up another 12% to trade at $0.40 per share. We've seen quite the recent rally in that troubled banking stock, and yet it remains down more than 99% year-to-date. Today's traditional markets coverage draws from MarketWatch. Stay tuned for after the break, we're going to dig into some headlines with George. We'll be right back. Thanks, Adam. Today's top story is a continuation of a story we discussed last week with Prime Trust. Last week, amid speculation of Prime Trust bankruptcy, BitGo terminated its acquisition of the company, and then Prime Trust was served a cease and desist order from the state regulator. And now, yesterday, Nevada's Financial Institutions Division filed to take over crypto custodian Prime Trust and freeze all of its businesses. The state regulator's request for receivership states that Prime Trust owes its clients north of $85 million in fiat and has about $3 million in fiat currency on hand. The company also owes a further $69.5 million in crypto and has $68.6 million in crypto on hand. It's not the numbers which are necessarily catching eyes, but how the shortfall came to be. According to the state filing, Prime Trust is unable to access legacy wallets. Before 2020, Prime Trust managed customers' crypto directly in its own proprietary infrastructure. In 2020, Prime Trust migrated the crypto assets it held for customers to Fireblocks, another crypto security firm. In 2021, after Prime Trust replaced its management team, it set up, quote, legacy wallet forwarding, end quote, and had funds sent back to the old wallets in the firm's proprietary infrastructure. In December 2021, Prime Trust discovered that it was unable to access its legacy wallets or cryptocurrencies held in those wallets. The bombshell from the filing went on to say, quote, It is understood that from December 2021 to March 2022, to satisfy withdrawals from the inaccessible legacy wallets, Prime Trust purchased additional digital currency using customer money from customer accounts, end quote. That's a big oof. First off, trying to trade out of a mistake like that is misguided at its best and fraudulent at its worst. I'll save making judgments on this end until the story develops more clearly, but as a simple thinker, I have just one question. How difficult is it to custody crypto for people? It should be straightforward. You give me crypto, I hold crypto for you, I give it back to you when you want it, and you pay me for my services. If I mess up and lose your crypto, you're not paying me to then try to trade out of losing your crypto. I already messed up, I shouldn't potentially make it worse if I lose more money trading. You took the counterparty risk by trusting me to hold your crypto. You did not take the counterparty risk for me to trade for you. This isn't good. And unfortunately, this news doesn't plant the idea that this situation is the exception with crypto businesses, but rather the norm. Crypto has a shady reputation, and this is yet another example of shady behavior. And it immediately raises the question, well, is it just Prime Trust who is trading with user deposits? Are the other exchanges and custodians doing it too? Maybe they are, and during crypto bull markets where no-name tokens can increase by a factor of 100, maybe they've gone away with it. Here's to hoping that's not the case. This is a developing story, and you can get the rest from Coindesk's Nick Day. Going international, let's take a look at Europe. The European Commission published its legislative plans to underpin a digital euro today. The text includes safeguards for privacy and financial stability, but many stakeholders are already questioning the benefits of the potential new central bank digital currency, or CBDC. At a Wednesday press conference to present the plans, the European Commissioner for Financial Stability said she expected debate over a digital euro to continue and intensify. 
but added she hoped the extra potential options Digital Euro brings, such as its use in remote rural areas, could persuade skeptics. Officials further argue the state-backed digital currency offers features private payment means aren't always able to, like allowing payments between friends with higher data protection standards. The initiative has also faced skepticism from commercial banks, for whom the state-backed currency represents competition to their own digital payment system and potentially as an alternative to savings accounts. The initiative also faces skepticism from individuals, especially on the topic of fully controllable central bank money that lacks privacy. While the legal proposals have both so far sought to ensure the digital euro can be used offline, offering a level of privacy equivalent to that of cash, and forbidding the CBDC from being, quote, programmed, end quote, to limit the goods it can be used to buy, officials have said that it could still be used to underpin conditional payments, which could leave the door open to fully programmable, fully controllable money. And if we know anything about regulators, it's that if the door is ajar, then the door is wide open. Coindesk's Jack Schickler has a story here. And lastly, here are two quick important headlines to wrap up the show. First, Australia acts on debanking of crypto entities and supports policy recommendations to tackle issue. Today, Australia's Treasury said it recognizes the seriousness of debanking and that it understands inaction could drive business underground after instances of banking partners cutting off crypto platforms in the nation. Coindesk's Amitaj Singh has this full story on Coindesk.com, but Australia making this move is interesting in the face of places like the United States, where the opposite approach is being taken by the SEC to make it as frustrating as possible for crypto companies to exist in the country. And lastly, creditors of defunct crypto lender BlockFi have filed to liquidate the company, accusing management, including its CEO, of fraud, extortion, and mischief in delaying resolution of bankruptcy proceedings. A committee representing BlockFi's unsecured creditors said in a document filed in the New Jersey Bankruptcy Court late Tuesday evening that the company is holding the case up so it can negotiate legal releases for its senior management who are culpable for loans made to FTX's Alameda Research. The filing said, quote, it's time to end all of this, end quote, adding that unlike other cases of alleged crypto wrongdoing, such as Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX, that, quote, BlockFi customers do not yet know their story and this is facilitating case mischief. It is time for the court to order an end to the burn and thereby end the extortion tactics." End quote. Counsel for BlockFi did not immediately respond to Coindesk's request for comment. As with all developing stories, you can get the full story on Coindesk.com and Coindesk Jack Schickler had this one. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Today's episode was edited by Ryan. And for those of you still with us, we'd love to hear what you think. You can send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.